You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 776 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday morning. And today's podcast is part two of our big man primer for the NBA draft with Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops. He'll be coming in a few minutes. If you missed part one, go back and listen to that one. It was a lot of fun. We talked about all, all of the big men, or at least most of the big men available in this draft class. But today's pod will cover the uh, sort of the top four on, on a consensus board. And we'll get into all these guys, Precious Achua, Obi Toppin, James Wiseman, and Onyeka Kongwu along the way. So stay tuned for that in the second half of the podcast. Before that, though, there is some news-ish stuff to catch up on, and I want to go ahead and touch on that before we bring in Zach. Um, for starters, the deadline for the NBA's transaction window um, is still going, by the way. The, the window itself is still going, but there was a deadline at Sunday at 5 o'clock Eastern time for teams in or out of the bubble to waive players. And the Hawks, of course, do not have a roster spot, so if they were to do anything, they had to waive a player first, and they did not do that before that deadline passed. So uh, as a result of that, the Hawks will be quiet. They cannot really make any roster moves now um, until you know several weeks slash months from now, so it'll be quiet on that front. I did speculate that it could be possible um, that the Hawks could have moved on from Vince Carter as a you know guy who's about to retire. There could have been some incentive to go ahead and waive him and maybe use that roster spot, but for now, they did not choose to do that. No big surprise there, but I want to go ahead and touch on that because we did, we did speculate on it a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Also, in a follow-up to what we talked about late last week, Trey Young is now officially going to Clutch Sports for his representation. Um, as a refresher here, if, if you missed all of this stuff, it's not terribly important at the moment for a, uh, a regular Hawks fan's perspective, but Trey's agent, Omar Wilkes, left Octagon Sports, where he was working before, took on a bigger role at Clutch. And at that point in time, there was some reporting from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports that uh, sort of assumed that Trey was going to be following him to Clutch. Um, now, that's, now that's official as of Friday night when Trey announced that on his social media channels. Uh, no, Again, no major takeaway for the Hawks right now, and no word, by the way, on Cam Reddish, who was also represented by Wilkes and Octagon uh, originally. But because of the sort of the connection to Clutch, uh, LeBron James and Rich Paul, et cetera, et cetera, we've already started to see the uh, the jokes and the, and the fake photoshops of Trey in a Lakers jersey. I wouldn't worry, that, wouldn't worry about that too much if I'm a Hawks fan because he's not going to get traded anytime soon. But uh, that's kind of just the nature of the beast and uh, some of the fun internet stuff. Uh, less fun if you're a Hawks fan, I'm sure, to see that kind of stuff out there. But uh, I wouldn't worry too much at this point in time. And last thing on the news agenda, Sam Amick of The Athletic, as part of a broader story about the media's conference call with the NBA and the MBPA over the weekend, reported on some buzz for the eight sort of non-bubble teams. The teams are not going to Orlando, which of course the Hawks are one of them. Uh, he reported there is, quote, significant support, end quote, from most of the teams for a secondary campus site to train and potentially play televised games um, for those non-bubble teams. Uh, there have been some ideas shared, apparently, on the NBA's weekly calls with with, with the general managers, with some, uh, at least seeing some optimism in building a second bubble of sorts. The Hawks were mentioned, along with the Cavs and the Pistons, as teams that were uh, reportedly, quote, among the most vocal organizations, end quote. And there was some reporting about uh, Vegas and Houston as potential host sites. There is some pushback, though. The Knicks have reportedly expressed some reservations about this. And by the way, the Warriors as well have been public this entire time about kind of just being okay and not playing anymore this year. So that's two teams that might have, may not have a whole lot of incentive to follow along this path. Um, as we talked about before when we were all talking about the bubble versus the non-bubble a few weeks ago, 
The Players Association has to agree to anything like this, and that is very much up in the air for the non-bubble teams. There are lots of quotes in the story if you want to go read them from Sam Amick, but Michelle Roberts, who is uh, sort of the spokesperson and one of the leaders of the Players Association, expressed some suspicion about the ability to replicate the full bubble structure outside of Orlando. Um, my, I personally would back that up as well because the, the money is going to be quite um, astronomical for the way the NBA is paying, and there is the risk-reward um, element to this, whereas it kind of makes some sense financially and all that stuff to go ahead and try to do the Orlando bubble, but the non-bubble teams... I don't think the, the dollars and cents are going to be there for that kind of uh, endeavor to build the full bubble, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see, obviously. That's my my full takeaway here is the, nothing nothing's going to be finalized anytime soon, I don't think, based on all the reporting that's out there. I think they're, gonna pro- they're probably going to wait and kind of see what happens with Orlando because there's lots of uh, factors in play there, and Orlando is coming, but not that quickly. You know, with, within the next month, obviously, games will be happening, players will be in Orlando if all goes according to plan, but um, no urgency at this point in time from what I read slash hear on the Hawks potentially playing and uh, some competitions with the non-bubble teams. We'll see if that changes in the future, but there we go right now. And if you missed anything from that report, go read it from Sam Manick of The Athletic, and uh, it's otherwise quiet on the Hawks' offseason front. Okay, before we get to Zach, I want to tell you that the Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, as the, as the hosts on the network, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. In the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your donation alongside us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. And before we get to Zach, a word from the good folks at Blinkist, because it's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more when you don't have the free time. You can't read or work on personal development. There's an incredible app, though, that solves that problem. It's one of the ultimate life hacks, and I highly recommend it, and that is Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. That is huge. People that are very, very busy, like you are, and just want to get the main points of a book in a hurry, so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, or even while you exercise. 12 million people People are already using Blinkers right now. It has a massive growing library that features all kinds of varied offerings. Blinkers has the latest titles from bestsellers and the classic nonfiction options that you always meant to read, but you can never find the time to actually open. With Blinkers, you get unlimited access to read or listen to the entire library, all the books you want, all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkers has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off a new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start a seven-day free trial. From there, you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. That's Blinkist.com slash NBA. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops, and I hope you enjoy it. Zach, welcome back for part two. It's like you never left, and uh, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me again. Um, how, how are you doing? You know, I'm living the dream. It's it's Sunday now. We took a you know two and a half day hiatus since we talked last on this program, but it's like we uh, have just picked up right where we left off, and we'll be talking about the sort of the top three and one. Is the way I describe this. We were talking about this offline before we started, but um, basically what we did, and people have probably heard this episode. Hopefully, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. But part one, we talked about you know about a dozen, maybe more, uh, big men available in this class, um, purposely saving 
what I think everyone, almost everyone at least, has as a top three for this podcast. Then we we're also including a fourth because Precious Achua of Memphis is someone who is the only other guy that I have seen um, at least with somewhat regularity be mocked in like the late lottery or like the, at least the top 15 or so on quite a bit of, uh, I would say mainstream mock drafts. He's been in that range, not always, but he certainly mocked higher than everybody else in this class other than the top three. So I figured it would be a good, a good time to include him here. Um, as a spoiler alert, I do not have him that high. I, in fact, I would take a guy or two that we, that we discussed on part one ahead of him, but that's why he's included here. Even if, even if he's not on my personal board, um, as high as the top three are before I share my thoughts. Uh, what are yours on, on precious? Do you have him as a, you know, top half of the first round kind of guy, or is he uh, a little bit lower uh, for you? Uh, at a certain point, I could definitely understand taking him like at maybe 14 or 15, but I, I don't really see him as a lottery guy myself. I see him as maybe, you know, someone that you get anywhere from 20 to 30 and, you know, maybe put him in the G League whenever everything gets back to normal. Um, he's just, I, to me, he's really far away from contributing, far away from contributing, and um, he's just so raw that it's just, it's, it would be even in a draft like this where maybe there aren't, you know, elite talent is not going to be available at 10 or 12. I just think there's very, like, way safer options than Precious and. The upside really doesn't justify the risk at that point to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think he's a very interesting prospect. He was obviously quite productive this year at Memphis. He was signed there, you know, and if James Wiseman had been there with him, he would have been playing power forward pretty much exclusively. He ended up playing some center at Memphis. That's kind of the, one of the things, and there, there's more than one, but there, one of the, I would say, dichotomies with, with Precious Chua is that I think – most people that have a close eye on the draft think of him as like a big, which is why he's included here. But I think the, with the way that he plays at times, he feel, he faces himself as more of like a combo forward type. He might be a center, um, which is not ideal for someone who is 6'9". He is kind of long, 7'2 wingspan. Um, but the stuff that he does well is probably going to be, you know, big man related when compared to like, for instance, he's a, he's a really, really bad like ball handler in some ways. But if he's a center, that's not that's not a problem. Um, he's also a terrible decision maker right now. That's one of the things that drives me crazy about Achua is that his you know his passing is not really there at all. Um, his shot selection is kind of bad. But if you put him in this tiny role as like a just a rim running center, I could kind of see it actually. Uh, and then defensively, he can already move on the perimeter. He's a really good athlete. There's a lot to like about his tools. It's just that it's going to depend a lot about how he is utilized. And if you're drafting him to be like this really versatile, you know, power forward type, I wouldn't love that. I mean, eventually it could work because there is a sort of, sort of a framework for what he could be. But I think if you're, if you want him to contribute anytime soon, he probably needs to be just a center. And that is uh, kind of where the dichotomy is because he's not very big as we mentioned. Yeah. I mean, to me, even if you're just looking at it from like a, you know, a value standpoint, like if you take him tenth overall, the third and fourth year of his contract is not going to be cheap, and he's no. he, he might not be even worth it by the third year. I mean, it could be a situation where like, you know, he completely flames out, and it's like a liability. Like it, it's it's not even that you could just miss on the pick. Like it's just 
with the way the money is at that point, I just I would take someone that is just better at basketball right now. Yeah, it, it, it's but, the feel. The feels what I don't um, what I don't love the most. I think is just the way that um, I don't know. Just, he, his feel is not very good right now, and part of that is shot selection. Part of that is the passing. Like I think he has like a really really comically bad. Trying to find it. Yeah, he has about a, he has about a one to three assist turnover ratio, and I'm not saying that wrong. He had 30 assists and 87 turnovers this year in college, yeah, which is like an impossibly bad ratio, especially when playing. At Memphis is not like low major by any means, but you're not playing against you know ACC level competition every night in the AAC. You're playing no. some good teams for sure, but there's also some teams in there that are not great. And uh, yeah, it's probably like a top 100 schedule. Nothing crazy. Yeah, I mean, he, obviously they played some. They, they have a better they have a better non conference than most teams in that league do. But et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm just trying to say that competition level wasn't overwhelming, and just have some of the numbers that he had. Um, in some of the peripheral categories, like assisted turnovers, like his shooting was not great. I think he shot 32% from three. That's not nothing. But if you, again, if you're drafting him to be a four, he probably needs to be able to shoot. And I think he probably actually will be able to eventually. But there's some bad free throw shooting numbers in there. 50, 59-60% from the free throw line. That's not terrible, but it's not good either. I just think what I would be drafting him for is as this like potentially versatile center type small ball five who is a great athlete rim runner could be a really good defender in time um and that player i think if you're drafting him as that you probably can't take him where he's projected to go in some of these mocks and i'm not saying everyone has him there but you know i I don't want to use draft twitter as like one one thought but you, you definitely see a massive disparity between some of the consensus boards where he's around that late lottery range to draft twitter where he could be as low as like 30 and i don't have him that low I think I would take him. I mean, I, it, I've seen ahead. him even. Low. I've seen him. I've seen people that have him as like sixty because of the feel. They think the feel is so yeah. bad that it's like. I mean, I, mean, not, I think I think that's too far. But I'm just saying, like, I've seen an even crazier. Like the disparity for me, I've seen like twelve, and I've seen like fifty-eight. Yeah, I mean like, that's too low. I think pretty clearly, but at the same time. The bus potential is significant, especially if he's you if he's utilized poorly, it might not go well because the feel is not good. And if he's not asked to just play center early on, especially, I don't think it's going to go very well. I mean, for me, the guys that we talked about on the last podcast that I would have ahead of him, I think the only one for sure that I have ahead of him is probably controversial is is Xavier Tillman, who I know I'm higher on than most people are, but I would take Tillman over Precious uh, every time. That's just kind of, it's kind of what I prioritize as well. Like Tillman has great feel on both ends of the floor. That's a huge thing. I think defensively he's a lot safer. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about just ultimate upside, I think Precious is probably higher. But I would prefer Tillman. And the other guy that I think I would take, um, or at least have in the same range as Precious, is Jalen Smith. Uh, Jalen Smith is a much different player, much more polished, better uh, offensive skill set right now um not the kind of physical you know explosive strong athlete that precious is but certainly a lot more polished and someone i would i would just trust more early on so i think with all that said i'd probably have precious as my sixth big um you could talk me into fifth like if you have him ahead of jalen smith or david tolman if you have him fourth i wouldn't like think you're crazy at all that's i I could sort of see it i wouldn't take him in in the lottery but if you had him like 24th 22nd and, ha- and, ha- and still had him fourth among bigs I would understand that yeah no I'm with you I have maybe even seven I mean the Tilly 
Tilly, I, I like Tilly more. But I mean, yeah, Precious. if you knew Precious, if you knew Tilly was 100% healthy and had no concerns, I would also have Tilly ahead. I just, we're just not going to know that, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So also, I would rather have that, Precious, I guess, but yeah. The, the age is also, you know, a thing. Precious where, is kind of like, old, though, actually. Um, I know he was a one and done. I believe he, isn't he kind of old? I'm looking this up now as we talk. But um, yeah, I, certainly it's a lot easier to see how Killian Tilly works as a, as a highly skilled, versatile role player than it is with Precious. Um, and yeah, by, by the way, Precious is already 20 and he'll be 21 in September. Um, so he'll be, he'll be 21 before he's, before he starts his rookie year, before he's drafted, despite being a one and done player. So you think about him as a one and done, he's, he was one, but he is a much older one and done than most. All right. So he's still younger than Tilly and he has, you know, a, yes. a clean health, clean medical. So that matters. It, it does get tough. As far as like, what do you? I mean, Tilly is obviously better, like way you know years ahead. Like Precious, the the year and a half, young, much younger he is than Tilly. He's not catching up by the time he's, you know, in his age twenty two season. He's not going to be anywhere near to where Tilly is right now, IQ wise. But I mean, I could see having, you know, just the athlete he is. Tilly can't really match that either. So I would uh, uh, t- Tilly to me. I know we already talked about this, but Tilly to me is a guy where like I I can't wait to see where he goes, like like what where he's drafted. Oh, I agree. It'll be very interesting between the health stuff and organizationally. I'm I'm with you. I'm, that kind of transitions. I was going to ask you, you know, what what I was trying to find a spot that I like for Precious, like in a reasonable range, like not falling all the way. I don't I don't think there's any way he's going to fall to like 29. I think someone's going to take him. I think just hearing stuff around the league, there's a reason why the consensus boards are a little bit higher, and it's because the league is a little bit higher. Um, I would like to see him in a good situation, like you know San Antonio or Boston's one that I've mocked him to a couple times at 16-17. If he went to Boston, not that they need him, but that's just a situation where they could maximize his, his talent uh, pretty effectively. Um, and they have a lot of bodies, I know. So wouldn't like, I just kind of there's some organizations that I trust to develop guys, and he, that would be another one where they could they could kind of afford to take the flyer on him because it is kind of a flyer. I don't I don't think he, I don't I don't think he's safe, but I also think that if he's used properly, it certainly can work out. So is there a spot where you like that fit maybe for him? Yeah, I mean Boston is obviously always a spot. Um, I think San Antonio is going to pick a little too early. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't take him um, where, where where they're going to be, but I think Milwaukee, just situation. Milwaukee might work. has that. I think it's the Philly pick or something. Milwaukee's going to pick like twentieth. Yeah, that's I, it, I, that's I, Indiana's I, pick for the Brogdon for the Brogdon yeah, trade. Yeah, okay, Indiana. Okay, yeah, I would like that. Um, just you know, great team, low pressure. Uh, you got Lopez, you got Giannis. You know, Bud doesn't have the best history developing guys, but I, I think you know he could be put in a. He, they're not going to try to use him in a stupid way in Milwaukee. He's going to, you know, shoot threes a lot. Or if he if he play if he's going to play, he's going to have to shoot some threes. And then he's going to, you know, be an extra center. So I, I would like him there. But, I think I think Dallas too is yeah. one where you know I know they have Dwight Powell, but he's got the Achilles now. And I think if it worked out really well for Precious, he'd be a nice complement with Kristaps. Um, cause Porzingis got to play, play a little bit more on the perimeter. You can have, um, 
Precious kind of un- unleashes athleticism around the rim a little bit more. That would make some sense to me. And Dallas is also in that range, you know, 18, 19 kind of spot. And that would be a spot where I wouldn't hate it. Um, there probably will be a guy that I like more in all those spots. But uh, if you're trying to find somewhere where it can work and probably would work um, eventually, I would uh, just be looking. Situationally, he's the guy who's very, very interesting to me. I'll say that regardless. Um, any final thoughts before we move on? No, I think we, we covered presses. I, I would have him just as a final thought. I would, I would have him around, um, 20 probably on my board. I haven't finished my board, but I, I just, I've had him a little lower, but just, I don't know. Like when it gets past a certain point in this draft, it's like anybody that could become, you know, like if Precious hit on his ceiling, I I don't want to have him like you know too low. Like I think twenty is like a good like median for like the best he could be is maybe you know closer to a lottery pick, and the worst is probably you know just a second rounder, just another guy that doesn't make it. But I uh, I tend to agree with that overall. I I'll probably have him. Uh, in the 20s somewhere when I when I finalize things and it, it, he's a good example of something that we've talked about and already have talked about we'll talk about again I'm sure about how you know a big board especially in like a flat draft like this is actually kind of hard it's always hard to do but Achua is someone who I would like certain places more than other places and there's a lot of those players in this draft so putting together like in a vacuum big board always has some value but it's it's really hard this year, um, both because the players are really clumped together and also because I think situation is going to matter a ton for a lot of these prospects. Once you get past the top guys, and especially even, you know, honestly, including the top guys, situation is going to be huge, and uh, I'll be interested to see where he lands. And there'll, there'll be some teams, if they take him, I'll be terrified. And I'll be, there'll be teams where if they take him, I'll be like, all right, I can see that. So we'll see how that goes in the future. Um, all right, before we get to the uh, sort of the big three of the big men in this class, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and that is Built Bar, the best te- tasting protein bar ever. And there are almost endless reasons to love Built Bar in addition to the incredible taste. Built Bar is perfect for anybody that's trying to be health conscious with the ability to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a tasty treat. Every bar is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And to make things even better, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate. And unlike some, um, unlike some of the competitors in the space, Built Bars are soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite, as I always tell everybody, Zach, is the banana nut, fr- the banana nut bread flavor, but there are also tons of other great options. In fact, there are 16 amazing flavors to choose from, and they all present their own appeal that anybody could fall in love with. I would absolutely recommend Built Bar, and uh, check it out for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off on your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. It's a perfect day to try Built Bar. All right, Zach, let's move on to another uh, combo big, is the way that I would describe him, and someone who I have seen as high as number one on a big board or two, and that is Obi Toppin. Uh, Toppin's very interesting. Uh, I would say divisive. You will see people rate him, as I, as I just, just alluded to, as the top three guy. And then you'll see him like in the late teens for some people that are more skeptical. Um, the, the ranges are pretty wide, but I think in general, the consensus is that OB probably is going to go in the top 10 somewhere, and that is justifiable. But he's also really old. 
um, that matters in some respects. And he's also has uh, is certainly a prospect that has strengths that are very defined and also weaknesses that are very defined. So I'll set it up that broadly and just ask you what you think of Obi Toppin. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the – he's a top 10 pick, I mean, especially in this draft. But I, I do kind of worry about him, especially defensively. And also I could see him kind of being one of those guys that – you know, might play his best basketball before the end of his rookie contract. Like once his burst, not even like, I'm not saying it's just going to completely flame out in the next four years, but he's probably not going to be the same athlete at 28, 29 than he is right now. And I think once he loses that, I don't know if he's still a great offensive player. I mean, maybe he becomes this great shooter, but I definitely have him more as like a, a 10 to 12 on my board guy compared to, you know, some of the people that inch him closer to the top five and even into the top five. Yeah, I, I generally agree. And just, I mean, Toppin, I know, I know he played at Dayton, but he was legitimately the national player of the year in college basketball. He earned that. He was fantastic in college. And uh, it wasn't just him, but uh, he was the biggest cog in that wheel of a very, very good college basketball team. The situation was great for him, though. That's something I will have to lead off with, is that you know Anthony Grant is a very like NBA modern head coach uh, that he had at Dayton. Also, they had some talent around him. He was still the biggest piece, but it was a great situation for him. I think offensively, we'll start, we'll start offensively. Um, the numbers were ludicrous in college. Uh, he's a really, really good finisher. He's uh, a, a developing and I think solid to better than that shooter. Uh, 39% on three. It's pretty low volume, but certainly was efficient um, offensively as a shooter. Has good touch by all accounts. Uh, pretty good rebounder. Decent, uh, decent or better passer. Um, does he's willing to set some screens? Like he's obviously a really, really good, and I think he'll be a good offensive player right away. That that's one of the few guys in this class where I'm pretty confident he's going to be able to help a team on one end of the floor um, immediately. And Toppin's offense is one of the safer things in the whole draft. Um, I think he's going to be a good offensive player, um, if not right away, pretty soon. I, I tend to agree with what you said, that um, I do have a couple of questions about how it might age, because he's already old as a 22-year-old. But I think offensively, there are not a ton of questions. Like Maybe you can maybe you can debate his upside, and uh, that, that might be a huge factor on where people land. With Toppin, is like, if you think he's going to be like a hugely plus shooter or someone who can like legitimately be a top tier offensive player, then your evaluation might be different. Whereas I think everyone agrees he's going to be a useful or better offensive player right away. So we'll focus on offense first and we'll go to the defensive side. But what do you think he's going to look like offensively? Cause that's everybody likes him offensively, but how much do you like him offensively? I mean, I like him, but I just don't think it's going to be, I think he's going to be more of just a role player, like I story. You know, obviously he was a superstar in college, like you just said. You know, maybe the best player in college. I think he's more of just like a come in and like his per thirty six numbers will look great. Like he'll come in and score. You know, kind of like what Jabari did when everything was right for the Hawks this year for like six games, when before Collins got suspended and all hell broke loose. Um just come in and just get buckets against the second unit. And, you know, that leading into the defense, that that's another reason I think that's his role is because that way he can guard somebody's second power forward or second center and just kind of, you know, you just live with it. He just keeps things moving. He, he keeps your offense rolling. And, you know, maybe you don't get a stop every time when he's out there, but, you know, 
he could be just a volume scorer. Yeah, I, I think that's again going back to the offense for a second. I, I think what we, I think what everyone understands and knows is that he's going to be able to score and do so efficiently. Now that's only one part of the game, but it's also a part that often gets overrated a bit. Um, it's just scoring, and the efficiency is going to matter, and that's that's a really a big plus in his column. But I think if you really love his offense enough to go all in on it, you probably have to think that he's going to have to develop his perimeter game a little bit. Not that it wasn't there, but he played center in college, um, which is the right move by all by all accounts. But if you're drafting him, this is a question we'll answer a little bit in a second. But if you're drafting him as a four. Uh, defensively, that's a whole other ball of wax. But if he's an offensive four as well, um, we'll see how that looks. It's kind of, I think the offensive comparison to Toppin that gets made a lot that I don't hate is to John Collins. I don't think it's a perfect comparison in any way, shape, or form. I think it's, um, and and honestly, I hate comps, but because this is a Hawks podcast and because that's one of the better ones I've heard for Toppin, I can kind of see it. I think they were, they're fairly, fairly, um, comparable offensive offensive players or prospects uh collins as we've all seen is like hitting his top end outcome offensively so far he's been awesome offensively um and i think collins is uh you know gonna be like a best case scenario kind of thing from from my in my mind for every top him but at the same time that's kind of what you're looking at like at the four especially like and it works because it works for collins because collins is incredibly good near the rim um in a way that it's hard to project anybody to be that good near the rim um but just as a skill set perspective, that's about as good as, I'm, as I've seen for a comparison, even if I hate comparisons. Yeah, no, I mean, I just don't like comparisons. Because, like, when I think Me about either. Collins, it's like, there's no way in my mind, you know, Obi Toppin will be as good around the rim as Collins, just especially right away. I mean, Collins is like, people. I don't know, Hawks fans love Collins, but just people in general do, they think Collins just gets easy buckets because Trey is getting a lot of attention, and that does happen a lot. Everyone gets an easy bucket every now and then because of all the attention Trey attracts, but he Collins is genuinely unbelievable at catching everything, whether it's a good or a bad pass, and at just somehow just dropping it in, whether you know a seven-foot is right on him or you know he's an alley-oop and it gets tipped. I mean, there's been alley-oops that got tipped, and he still caught it and put it in. Um, but I do agree that Obi does, I mean, he does have that potential to shoot, you know, mid to high third, which Collins shot 40% this year, you know, and whatever, in 30 or so games, I guess, but topping to shoot mid to high thirties from three and, you know, be explosive in the paint. I mean, it's, there's, there's not a better comparison I could think of just right off the top of my head. Yeah, there, there's not, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's, it's a pretty decent one. Um, let's transition now to defense, which is where everyone that is worried about him is worried about him. Um, I've heard some people think that it's not going to be a problem. I, I just don't see that as a as the reality. I'll, I'll speak for me right now, but I, I think he wasn't always terrible at the college level. I'm not saying he was just absolutely terrible defensively because he actually wasn't. But as a projection to the NBA, I just don't know how that's going to work defensively. He's not a he's not a very good like processor. Um, as, as someone who just like sees the game defensively and like, you know, uses his basketball IQ and feel on that end of the floor, it's not absolutely terrible, but not not an outlier guy by any means. And then you throw in the fact that he doesn't move very well, and that's kind of funny to say because he's known for being this explosive athlete, and he is a great 
leaper or like above the rim athlete offensively, but he also isn't all of that like side to side athletic. And he has this really weird stance defensively that people have talked about. And I agree with this. Like it's, just, I'm not sure it's going to work for him to be able to be able to guard in space um, based on what we've seen so far. And defense. And like, if you're playing with the five, I don't know how that works. Um, just because defensively you can't build a defense that's going to work with him at center. Like even in drop coverage, he doesn't really move his hips well. Um, and then you ask him to switch and that's not going to go well either. You know, people know that I love defense and really prioritize it. And that, that kind of explains why I'm a little bit lower on Obi than some, because I just don't see him being average defensively. I think I can see him being passable defensively as like an upside, like, and that's, still going to be slightly below average, but it could be just terrible. Like that's, that's in play. It's in play for him to be like really, really bad defensively. And he could still return some value because he might be so good offensively that it, that it can overshadow, but it's going to limit your ceiling quite a bit defensive. If you're, if you're really bad defensively at this position, it's not like point guard. It's not like shooting guard. Even if you're a combo big, if you're like a four five, maybe even playing some five defensively, you can't be this bad defensively as he, as he could be. I'm not saying he's going to be this bad, but if you don't think he can play defense, you have to cap a ceiling because defense matters a lot at that spot. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't expect him. I think there's no way you can – you can't take him assuming he's a center. At the very best, he's going to have to grow into that, Um, which makes – you know, obviously I think that's what – Hurts his value a little bit as far as where I, I can't really put him inside the top 10. Um, like, I, I think he's close to the top 10, but I would personally probably have him 11 or 12. But, I mean, you look at Carl Anthony Towns and, like, he wasn't – he has some kind of weird stuff like that on his defensive film. Like, he'll be standing with his feet crossed and then he can't he can't get, like, back to help. And he, Carl Anthony Towns is huge though. I mean, Obi Toppin is like three, maybe three inches shorter than, than Cat. So I just think there's no way he can, he can be a center. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about, you know, the kind of athlete he is. Like he's explosive, but you know, it's, it's not like Collins where like Collins actually has shown that, you know, his athleticism does translate to defense when he's put in the right situation. Where sometimes it was hard to tell. I think Toppin, like, he might be, he, he had 1.2 blocks at Dayton, but that's really not what we're talking about as far as no. I don't think there's there's any way he could be, like, a rim protector in the NBA. I, and, I, I personally, and that was I him playing center full time. I mean, that, that's the thing about it. Like, he was playing center almost full time in college. And I think offensively in the NBA, center is probably his best position unless something changes like obviously he could grow into himself a little bit off uh, on the perimeter but he might be best at the at, at the five offensively but this is the problem with guys in this mold and it's honestly one of the reasons that I was worried about Collins as a draft prospect is that you have to find a great partner for Obi Toppin for it to work and those guys just aren't that freely available like yeah if you put Obi Toppin next to like Miles Turner it could work but there's only so many Miles Turners. There's only so many Kristaps Porzingis's that like are like hybrid bigs that can play five on defense and four on offense and shoot it. Um, and it helps the topic and shoot. But I, I just think defensively, if he's at the four, it's not going to be good in space. And if he's at the five, he's not big enough and not uh, as much of a rim protector as you would need. 
and not great enough rebounder either. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to crap on him because again, I think his offense, if you just, if you just took one side of the court for any prospect in this draft, you could argue the safest one side of the court in the whole draft is Obi's offense. I'm not arguing that, but that is reasonable to me. That if you if you if that's how that's how good his offense probably is going to be. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be like a superstar level, but I can't see him flaming out offensively. The problem is his defense might be so bad that it may not matter that much. So I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not trying to crap on him because again, he's still a top you know eight, ten, twelve guy for me too. We'll see where he lands. But because now we're in the range where the Hawks could be drafting one of these one of these three guys we're about to talk about. Let's end on a Hawks-ish note with Obi. Um, I'm on record. I would not take Toppin with any pick the Hawks could have, and that's as low as seven. Um, the Hawks, uh, sorry, as low as eight, I guess technically. Um, the Hawks could fall that low, even at seven or eight. I would not draft Toppin as the Hawks. Um, part of that is where my board is, and part of that is that uh, you already have John Collins. Um, that is, he's a guy who is extremely replicable with John Collins. Uh, if you traded John Collins. At the draft, you could more easily talk me into Obi Toppin as the Hawks because then you could you're sort of set up for that already. But if Collins is on the roster, I don't really see the point. Um, that's that's too strong. I don't really see the value in drafting Obi Toppin while John John Collins is already on the team. Um, if you're the Hawks, and I'm still a best player available advocate in general, but uh, consider where, where my board's going to be. Even if the Hawks fell to seven or eight. I would rather be drafting someone like Isaac Okoro or Devin Vassell than I would than I would Obi Toppin as the Hawks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I would take I would take Obi at fifty two if he slipped to there. But you know. stop! <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? Um, uh, that's the Hawks pick. I would take him with. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to make sure we talked about that for a second, just because obviously with a and all of these series that we're doing. The guy, there's probably realistically, there's probably only like 12 guys that the Hawks could conceivably draft with their own first round pick in the whole draft. And that's like maybe even too much of a list, but I'm going to try to be as open as possible. Toppin is on that list in terms of guys who are projected to go as high as the Hawks pick will be. So I feel like we have to, I feel like we had to at least discuss that. But uh, maybe if they traded down, eventually there's a spot where you could talk me into Toppin, like maybe like. 11 12 in that situation or again if they if for some reason the Hawks decided that they had to trade Collins and they wanted to draft Collins light and Toppin I wouldn't be terribly upset by that but right now with where they are even if they drop all the way to seven or eight I just couldn't do it so that's my opinion on Toppin no yeah obviously I was messing around with 52 but I was I was just saying um you know you're trying to build your team around Trey Young Kevin Herter John Collins I just there's pretty much no way I would bring in Obi Toppin when I have a choice not to. Like just because no, I, yeah, choice. defensively, I mean, for as many for as many as for as many concerns as I have voiced and everybody's voiced about the potential of a Collins Young partnership on the defensive end of the floor, I think if Obi got to where John Collins was defensively this season, ever in his career, that would be a substantial win. <laughs> Like, yeah. and again, I'm not, I'm not the guy who's telling you that Collins is an awesome defender. He was better this year for sure in year three, but just, so here's what I'm saying. If, if, if Obi ever got to where Collins was this year defensively, that would be an outcome that I would, I would consider to be a super high end outcome for his defense. So 
that, yeah, that, tells, you, not, that, tells, that tells you about his defense. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'm not optimistic either. I think he'll be fine. I mean, as far as overall, but he'll be a useful player, almost certainly, in my opinion. I know he's old, but I think there is a reason. You know, I'm old, age does matter. There is a reason why Toppin's age isn't talked about quite as much, um, and that's because he was sort of a late bloomer. Like it wasn't like he's it wasn't like he was a four year college guy that suddenly got a lot better as a senior. Those guys always scare me to death. Um, Obi was really good on a permanent on a permanent basis in his first season in Dayton. Um, was already sort of an off the radar deep cut draft prospect a year ago, and then exploded in year two. Uh, he he had a red shirt. It was like this guy just like toiled on Dayton's bench for three years and then exploded. I worry about his age a little bit, but uh, I think it's gonna I think he's gonna be a good a, a good useful NBA player. I just don't. I think the archetype of what you're of what you're getting in top end is not his fault. It's just not one that I'm going to value as highly as some people are. Yeah, I just think, you know, you want to take with the, this Hawks pick, if they end up making the pick and uh, not not trading it, I would be really just trying to address, like, what competitive defender has the highest ceiling? That's that's really what I would be taking. I wouldn't even be, like, looking at Obi Toppin yep. at all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him either for, for the Hawks again. If there's a, if they trade down, we'll reassess. But that's how I feel. Okay, that's enough on him. We'll move on to. Uh, let's go to James Wiseman now because this is an interesting case. Uh, set, set it up. Obviously, Wiseman played extremely little college basketball. Um, ended up electing to leave Memphis before serving his suspension that he had, um, and played. I think what three games? Yeah, three games at the. Um, college level he was a consensus top three prospect in the class in high school he's a one position player definitely a center seven foot great physical great physical tools um but he's been out of the limelight for, so it's a little bit of a difficult evaluation already then you throw in the fact that you know back in october um when the hawks had essentially no long-term center on their roster wiseman was uh Often discussed if the Hawks were to like win the lottery, maybe they maybe they, they they would consider taking James Wiseman, and that was the case all the way up until January February, and then the Hawks zagged and traded for Clint Capella, for who's who's under contract for, for three more seasons, and they also had Wynn Devin, they also had John Collins, Bruno Fernando, et cetera, et cetera. So now they went from having this gaping hole at center to using a lot of resources to address center, and unlike the other guys on this list. Wiseman is a center and a center only. So that took him a little bit out of the discussion for the Hawks to the point where I have not talked about Wiseman a ton on the podcast in the last five months or so, just because of all of what I just said. Like, it's not, in my opinion, the Hawks would have to really, really, really be in love with James Wiseman to draft him because of what they already have on the roster. And I'm not saying that that's impossible because it's not. Maybe if Travis Schlenk, we've, we've seen Schlenk take, take a stand before. If his board says Wiseman's the best player, he might just take him. But that's why I haven't talked about a ton, talked about him a ton. Um, but, I mean, what do you feel about Wiseman? Because he's another guy where the consensus and what you hear in the league and what I've heard in the league is that I still think he's going to go in the top five realistically in the draft because there's enough teams who love this archetype and who like Wiseman quite a bit that he's, gonna, he's still going to go high. But there's a lot of people that I know you and I think are smart that are more uh, you know, analytically inclined or uh, more modern inclined that don't love traditional big men that might have Wiseman at like 20. Like that's not, as, that's not a joke. You, I've heard people have him that, that low in this class. 
So where do you fall on that spectrum? Like how high, uh, both non-Hawks and Hawks, like let's take the Hawks out of it for now. What do you think of Wiseman in a vacuum? I think 20 might be a little low. I mean, five is too high for me, but I, you know, I don't really value the modern or the, uh, the center that doesn't shoot, you know, and the problem with Wiseman is he, he like has always, you know, been really good compared to who he's playing against. So he thinks like he's like a scorer and like, I just, I hope that he doesn't like take that to the NBA as a rookie because you're going to have maybe it might be worse than Cam Reddish. I mean, he's going to get some easy ones just because of how big he is. But if he just goes down the block and starts trying to do post moves and stuff, like I just, I don't really see that going well right now. <laughs> uh, um, just particularly, but uh, I would probably have him around 15. I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, I respect the ceiling, but He's another guy where if you take him like seven or eight, you're going to be paying him a lot in year three. And he might, I just, I think it's going to take two years before he's even like a neutral on the court. I think he's going to be a negative for a while. I am, uh, I'm kind of in the middle of the people that are really enthusiastic about Wiseman and the people that just like totally discount him. I think there are certain teams that could, that if they took him at like seven or eight, I would totally understand. Um, the Hawks are not one of those teams, but um, I think I can see it in a way that some people can't. Like, for instance, here, here's what it comes down to for me on Wiseman. And we'll keep this one a little bit shorter because of obvious reasons and Hawks fall out. But if you believe he is the defensive player of the year candidate at center, that some people do, and I, I don't, but if you thought that, that is the way to justify Wiseman. Because you, you alluded to the offense – um, there is some skill about the offense, and obviously he's huge. There's value in having like the seven footer with seven five, seven six wingspan, who's pretty fluid athletically. There's a lot of value in that in offense offensively as like a rim runner, lob threat kind of guy. But he thinks, like you said, he thinks of himself a little bit better more than we all do on the perimeter. Um, I think he might be able to shoot a little bit, but not in a way that's like game changing. He might be like someone who could who you have to guard out there eventually. Not right now. Um, Offensively, I am far less enthused about Wiseman, and honestly, that's the side of the floor where I I, I just can't see it really, really working. Could he could he average eighteen a game because he's just a lob threat? Sure, but I don't think he's ever going to be like a game changing offensive player. Um, so, with that said, you'd have to really think of him as this like maybe not go bear level, but close to go bear level defensive prospect for a justification of a top five pick. And I, I don't think he's quite there. Um, the feel isn't quite on that level. Um, he isn't. I mean, he's a really good athlete for his size, but not a generational one for me. Um, he is long, and I think it's going to work. And honestly, I would bet on James Wiseman being like a starting NBA center. That's not even like an unreasonable outcome at all. Yeah, the, That's probably what I think is going to happen. I just don't. There's the value proposition is like, what is that worth to you um, to have a guy who might have to come off the floor in crunch time might limit your ceiling as a team on both ends of the floor. Like I think he's going to be a pretty good and useful NBA player for a long time, but he needs to be, if you're drafting a seven foot one position center in the top five, he has to be a star or it's not going to work. Like, and I don't, I don't think he's going to be a star. I mean, I think when you go back and look like 
at this draft in like six or seven years, I think he'll have a top 10 career. I think he'll be productive. But if you're trying to build a championship team, it would just be easy for me to go a different direction. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't like, I don't really like playing through bigs that like, like you have to be so good. I feel like to play, like you play through cat, you play through Embiid, you play through, yeah, I, I don't think you he, don't play, that, that's the thing. Offensively, it's not. I, I don't think, and maybe people disagree with us on this, but I, I just don't. I don't see how he's supposed to be a number one offensive option. The guys you just named are number one offensive options at center, and obviously a couple of them. Embiid, for, well, Embiid's really the only one who's also an awesome defender, which is why Embiid, at his best and healthy, is the best center in the league. Like, I, I just don't see Wiseman as having the juice and having the toolbox to be a like a legitimate number one offensive option at center. The guys you just named are freaks. The comparison has been Whiteside. You know, a lot of people have said Whiteside. Yeah, and, and that's it, not it unreasonable. Actually, it makes sense to me. But that's my point is like Whiteside, you know, he is what he is. He's fine. You could do a lot worse. But like it's like you just said, at the last seven minutes of a playoff game, do, do you want Wiseside out there? You probably can't play him. I mean, the, like, and by the way, for the record, I actually think Wiseman, and I should say this, I'm not a big Whiteside fan. I, I get it too. I, I think Wiseman has a path to be better than that. I think he's a better athlete. Um, I think he's got a little bit more juice offensively. But yeah, I, I that's not an unreasonable comparison. I just, I have a hard time identifying the traits offensively that are going to be there for him to be this great offensive player. And if he's not that, then he has to be a great defender. Because if you're a to, – to justify a top-five pick, I'm saying if you draft him at 10 or, or 8 and he's just a solid starting center, that's a perfectly reasonable pick. Perfectly reasonable. But it, he's in the mix at like 2 or 3 or 1 in certain spots. You'll see him mocked at number 1. And if, you, if that happens – I just don't see the explanation for it unless you just think he's Rudy Gobert defensively. Like I know, I, I, in fact, I read this comparison the other day. Somebody brought up De, somebody brought up DeAndre Ayton. For one, for one, they're very different prospects. For two, DeAndre Ayton has much more in the offensive toolbox than James Wiseman. Could you t- could you say that Wiseman's a better defensive prospect? Sure, but I think Ayton is pretty clearly a better prospect coming out of college than Wiseman. And I think also no one would take Aiton at one again. You know what I mean? Like no. you, maybe, maybe you could talk me into having him at three in that draft still. And that's you know Aiton's going to be a good player for a long I time. I think though. I think even after even after watching what happened the last time Aiton went number one, I think he might go number one again in this draft. And I think he would probably go. Oh, in this draft than, he would. I'm pretty sure he would go number one in this draft. Yeah, actually. I, I think Lamelo and Edwards could still go above him, but. I think the floor for him would be three. And just comparing him to Wiseman, the floor for Wiseman in this draft is probably, you know, eight. Yeah, I'm just going back to the, like, he's the last, the last, I was the most recent true center guy who is like a, who could, who was seen as a, as an elite prospect was Aiden. And, you know, Aiden, I think so far in his career has been as good or better than he was supposed to be. And even then, no one would, tell you that he should go in a redraft ahead of Luka Doncic or Trey or Trey Young like no one no one would say that um and that's really working out like Aiton's been good like Aiton was good this year like legitimately good and 
all that to say, I think Aiton is like a step or two ahead of Wiseman as a prospect, especially on offense. So, I don't know. I, for me, the path for Wiseman is, d- is defensively. I think he'd be a good defender. I think he'd have to be a great one to return value in the top five. Probably none of this matters because I don't think the Hawks are going to take him. But listen, I alluded to this a minute ago. If Travis Schlenk felt that James Wiseman was the best player on the board, I think he'd take him. So I'm not, I'm not telling him to do that. I, I wouldn't do that. But there's been this little bit of a movement to just like cross Wiseman off. I'm probably a little bit guilty of that. I think in my common sense brain with what we know from Travis so far, I think he would take him if he thought he was the best player available. So I'm not going to cross Wiseman off. Am I going to tell people that I would draft Wiseman? No. And people ask me my opinion, I'll give it. But if we got, if, would it like completely floor me if we got to the draft and the Hawks were at like five and took James Wiseman? No, it wouldn't. Just because you might think the tools are good enough to take him. So, I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'm saying. I just, I'm trying to put the guard up a little bit, even for myself. Like, I would probably cross Wiseman off as the Hawks. I said that at the, be- at the beginning of this discussion. Like, unless they trade down or something, I would not take Wiseman with any Hawks pick in the in the top seven or eight. But they might, because teams in the league, this is the full circle, teams in the league like James Wiseman more than the internet does. And that includes me and you. Right. No, I mean, honestly, it's a, it would be, I don't know about it at five, but at seven, it would be defensible. Because, I mean, if you're looking at the people you're picking between, it's like... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, Deadman, it, would, it would be. Edmund is on a one-year deal. Capella has already battled injuries. I mean, I mean the fit, the not, fit, the fit would suck. Wiseman for him to be good right now. So, yeah. like, oh no, I'm. <laughs> if you if you if you if you like him, then and you take him, then it's whatever. It, it, that's fine. No, if I, to your point, if if the Hawks did that, if the Hawks t- if we woke up on October twenty eighth or whatever, and the Hawks had taken James Wiseman at six, I would not kill them for it at all. I would not come on the podcast and rant and rave about it. Would I come on the podcast and tell them it was a great pick? No, but I would understand it because your point is a good one there. Like, honestly, this whole draft is like this to a certain extent outside of maybe LaMelo Ball, but it's as flat as it is. It becomes personal preference at some point in time. And yeah, the fit's kind of brutal, especially when you just traded for Capella for three more years and those guys could never, ever, ever play together. That's not great, but if if they looked at their board, if Travis looked at his board that night and there was one player left in the top tier, it was James Wiseman, you either try to trade the pick or you take James Wiseman. You take what's player available. I get it. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, if you, just for example, like, of a situation that could be, if they're picking seventh and, you know, they have Wiseman as their last guy in that top tier and then they look to their next tier and the top guy is, like, Denny. Um, do you drop down into your next tier and take a guy that you think, you know, his... I hate dropping down. <laughs> exactly, I hate dropping down on the draft. Exactly. Because Denny, you, let's just say, for example, this isn't, you know, obviously me and you don't think Wiseman has... I think Wiseman does have a higher ceiling than Denny, but I don't I don't necessarily yes. think I would draft him ahead of Denny. So if, say, let's say it's flanked as Denny, okay, I view Denny as like, you know, maybe a fourth or fifth starter. Wiseman, his ceiling is probably a second or third starter. So... Do we want to drop down and and take Denny when we already have a bunch of guys like Denny that are probably better than Denny, or do we want to take, you know, Wiseman where we do have a couple centers, but one of them's old. 
you know, we got to make a decision on Collins. Capella's had the injuries. I mean, it's to me, I honestly don't even like, like I wouldn't hate it unless they, someone like a Coro slipped or so, which, you know, depending on that, that might not be even a slip depending on who you talk to. We'll get there though. When we get to the wings, but, um, you know, there are, there, I agree with you. There are, you know, multiple scenarios where drafting Wiseman is, is maybe even the right choice. Is defensive. But, you know, it's, at yeah. It's yeah. not, it's definitely not like likely because, the, you know, the Hawks' chances of picking seventh or eighth are not the highest. But No. But, uh, I mean, I, I, and just again, I think neither you or I would, would with our, with our own boards, would take Wiseman. But at some point, part of my job is to put, myself in the GM shoes and if if Travis Schlenk had him as the last player in a tier it's obviously justifiable and the tools are what they are like there's a reason at the end of the day there is a reason why James Wiseman is considered to be a top five pick in consensus sports and the tools are real uh you and I are lower on you you and I are lower on him I think for also justifiable reasons but it's not like this guy's a non-prospect like he's a he's still a good prospect it's just uh what you value and what you think he's going to be I think it's important to make, to note that like, and like people can have their opinion and, you know, maybe they don't agree with this, but the thing about Wiseman is like, I don't love him, but like, I could still admit that his ceiling is probably higher than a guy I like, like Sadiq Bey or Denny. Oh or, yeah. I mean, if it works, you know, like it's just, he has a seven, six wingspan and he can shoot a little bit. Like at a certain point, it's just like that guy is worth it. Yeah. There's a, honestly, if Wiseman, if this is 10 years ago, or especially 20 years ago, Wiseman goes number one. I mean, and he still could. It wouldn't, like, blow me away if he did. But you know what I mean? Like, a guy with this with this skill set 20 years ago at this size is probably, like, a consensus number one in this class just for what it could be in the way that drafts used to go, especially um, where, you know, seven-foot bigs were, like, just drove the league. Um, yeah, we even like what, what year was that when Anthony Bennett went number one? Like, oh I yeah, I mean getting, that's not that long ago. But you're, you're right. Yeah. I, it's I'm just more talking about just the the modernization of what we're looking for in the draft. What teams are looking for? Oh yeah. Wiseman doesn't. Wiseman is much more of a prospect that is not. You know, it's not that he can't play now. He's not Jaleel Okafor. Where like Jaleel Okafor was like the encapsulation of an old school prospect in the new yeah. school. Wiseman, Wiseman can and still will be a pretty effective player now, I think, but he would have been a much more in in demand guy 20 years ago. Um, yeah, 20 years ago we'd be talking about uh, who's better, Wiseman, Carey, or Azubuki. <laughs> that was a deep cut from the last podcast. There you go. Alright, let's uh, let's get off Wiseman and make sure we get to Okongwu before we get out of here. Um, the last guy is Onyeka Kongwu, who I'll spoil it now, is, is the guy that I like the most of all the bigs in this draft. Um, he's also probably the least famous, at least of these top three guys, for sure. Wiseman was a much bigger high school prospect. Toppin was the more decorated college player. Um, Okonwu splits the difference in some ways. He's um, certainly a combo guy, but mostly a center for me. Could play some four if you have to. But, you know, 6'9", 245. Out of USC, you had a really, really good year. This year at USC, he's really versatile, which is part of the reason why I like him quite a bit. Um, fairly long, still young, uh, efficient, two-way guy, very modern player. And uh, I say all that to ask you, you know, do you have him as your top big? And uh, what do you like or not like about him? 
Yeah, he's definitely my top big. Um, I struggle with the ceiling. I think Wiseman still might have the higher ceiling, but just as far as like what I actually expect to happen and how I expect Okongwu to fit within, I mean, assuming you know he doesn't go to a horrible situation like where he's asked to be a, like a full-time power forward or something, I expect him to fit in really well. Um, wherever he goes, just because of his style of play, he doesn't like. He just cleans up a lot of plays. He's a good screener. We we actually have a lot of film. You know, we can watch him. Unlike Wiseman, it's just hard to know. You know, what Wiseman's game is going to be. Maybe he's going to be this elite screener with a great feel, with a you know, with a guard and have a great feel for the screen game. But we just don't know yet. So, Akongwu, I I think we've talked about this before. I'm actually expecting him to be like the most positive rookie, I guess, you know, maybe not in terms of actual plus minus, but just, I think he's going to be the best rookie. Uh, maybe not win rookie of the year. Cause he might not have the, the volume numbers, but I expect him to be ready to go. Yeah. I, I've said this before on the show, but I think he is the single safest prospect in the class. That does not mean he's the best prospect. Cause I do not, I do not have him number one. But I think he is the safest guy in terms of I am very, very confident he's going to be an NBA player and a useful one. Um, now, the upside thing is a great discussion. And, um, you know, he's sometimes compared to Bam, Bam Adebayo, and I wouldn't go that far. I think Bam's got stuff that he doesn't have. But defensively, I really like what Okongwu can be in the modern NBA. Like, he's quick. He's strong. He's fluid. He's got really good, like, basketball IQ timing stuff defensively. Um, is he huge? No, that's the thing about him against Wiseman. You know, Kong was one spends like seven two. Like he's a very normal sized, you know, big power forward, small center. Whereas Wiseman is a little, you know, true elite in terms of length. But Kong was a much better defender in space. Um, you know, he's got great hands offensively. For instance, like he's going to be a good finisher around the rim. There's some shooting stuff in there as well. Like he shot well from the free throw line. I'm not sure he's going to shoot at a high level, but he certainly could. He's a good role guy. Like, you know, there's not a whole lot to worry about with Okongwu. Like, I'm, I'm fairly confident he's going to be a starter in the NBA and be a good player. Um, there were some spots on tape where he got manhandled a bit by, like, real big seven-foot or, like, big monster centers. That is a that is a point of concern. I will say it's a little bit less of one in the modern NBA because there's not that many of those guys. But would you want him having to deal with, like, Jokic or Embiid? by himself maybe not and that's a spot where you have to care a little bit you want to have another a guy in your roster that's bigger than him but if you just told me that a team had a Kongwu as their center of the future I think that they should be excited about that I think he's a good prospect um would he be a top five guy for me in every draft probably not but he's a top five guy for me in this draft I, I like him quite a bit and the safety is valuable to me and there is some upside because of all the things he can do. He's the rare he's the rare center prospect that I think actually could be on the floor at the end of a playoff game uh, because of how versatile and effective he can be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think uh, especially the um, – I, I think you would want him on the floor. I mean, I think, you know, the defense – I mean, you, offensively he's not going to kill you, so I just think he's going to be good enough defensively where, you know, it would – really hurt the team for him not to be out there closing the game. I, I think, you know, comparing him to Bam is kind of like comparing Toppin to John Collins. Like, that's maybe the best-case scenario. Yeah, um, I agree. 
I don't think he's going to be, you know, starting in the All-Star game or whatever, Bam. I don't know if Bam started, but he was in it. Um, I would I would probably take the under on, like, one and a half All-Star games for Okongwu. And that's not me crapping on him. I just don't think that that's realistic to project. But, by the way, I, I still like him a lot and would draft him, like, in the top four or five. Like, he's really good. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if I'm the Hawks and Lamelo and – I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say I wouldn't take a Coro over him, just given. And by the way, pe- 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 people should know this. People should know that you are uh, one of the leading Isaac Okoro, uh supporters. Well, it's you just like, you like him. You know, you have when you have Capella and John Collins. It's, you don't really need a Kongu as much as you need like a, someone who can come in and guard. Like you need Cam Reddish, but you also need someone else who can who can play defense on the wing. Well, and that, that so, gets into the one of the great. Um, let's just do this now, real quick, because uh, before I forget to do before I forget to do this with you, um, it gets into one of the great fit versus best player available conversations. Um, because in this draft, especially if you have these guys in the same tier, like if you had a Kongwu ahead, maybe of a Koro or Vassell or Denny or whoever you want to say but they're in the same tier, um, the fit might push you off of a Kongwu because obviously in Atlanta, I think they certainly can draft a Kongwu. And for me, they could draft a Kongwu a little bit easier than Wiseman because a Kongwu at least could credibly play a little bit at the four if you had to. Like if you played him with Deadman, that could that could that work? Sure, I think it could. Um, you shouldn't use that as like a primer. I think he's the center. But he's a little bit more versatile, obviously. But anyway... Um, it's one of those questions that people are going to be asking themselves a ton, especially if the Hawks are like drafting fourth or something in this draft. Every question I'm going to get is, okay, is it fit or is it best player available? Because my best player available might be might be a Kongwu, but the fit of a wing is a little bit easier, especially on this team where they already have investment in the big. So in general, where do you fall on that? I mean, it sounds like you would maybe prioritize a wing, even if you thought a Kongwu was a little bit better. Well, it, it, I know this is like a, a bad answer, but it honestly just depends. Like, yeah. with, it all, which it all depends. Pro- <laughs> which prospect is actually there? Because like I don't think, and like this might complete and completely end up backfiring on me, but I, I don't think I would take like, like if they're picking sixth and it's a Kongwu or Halliburton, I'm sorry, but I'm just gonna take a Kongwu right there. Like, Agree. Uh, if, Vassell is where it gets tough. Like if Vassell is there, if it's Vassell or a Koro versus a Kongwu, like I don't know because like, really I have hard. all those guys. I have all those guys grouped similarly, so it's not even like I have a Kongwu ranked ahead of them. Like I don't even have my board in exact numbers yet because it's what does it even mean to have this guy fifth and this guy sixth? Like it, it, it really. Well, that's what it's I'm getting like into because honestly, for the yeah. especially for the Hawks, um, if you had those guys close, you you have I think you kind of have to take the other guy, whether it be a Coro or Vercel or even Denny, somebody like that. If you have those guys close together, it does make a lot of sense for me to not take a Kongwu, and that's not an indictment. We'll obviously have time to do this if we get into that spot where that's an actual decision. But I mean, I've hemmed, hung, I've hemmed and hawed about this before already. But there's a bunch of spots in this class where I don't know what I, people people ask me almost every day what I would do in this in, in this scenario as the Hawks. 
or a similar scenario to this. And I don't really have an answer. Like I try to give you my answer to how I feel that day, but yeah, if my choices are a Kongwu or a Koro, I, I don't know what I would do if as Travis Slank right now today at like the fifth pick in the draft. I just don't know what I would do. I have a I have a Kongwu right now on my board at four overall. But there is some context needed because the Hawks, you know, if I was a team that needed a center long term and didn't have an investment in Clint Capella, a Kongwu might, would probably just be my guy because he's it would be my next right my next prospect on my board but the hawks don't have a need there and not that you should draft for need but need is a tiebreaker and the hawks don't need us the hawks don't need a center right now yeah. and the hawks not that they need a wing either but they could you can't have too many wings and you can have too many bigs so it's like i think yeah, what do, slink would i think what slink would do is he would like the wing. <laughs> he, he, he would get enamored with a coro and like what he could be and like oh yeah I mean, just do it. I mean, that's probably what I would do. I would just because whenever you really look at a cell and you really look at a Kongwu and you really look at a Koro, it's like a Koro is the one guy where it's like if he just could figure out how to score a little bit, people could say, you know, why didn't this guy go number one? So, well, right. I mean, and we'll we'll get, we'll get into this later, obviously, as we get going. But you know, Sam Massini made a little bit of news when he came on my show talking about how he had heard the Hawks were interested in a Coro and that's not like breaking news in my opinion, but maybe it is. I mean, I, I've heard it too, not in a place where I could like report on it, but I've, I've heard enough and, you know, Sam said it out loud and Sam knows things. So I got a lot of questions about that after the fact and I get it. Um, but sure. It, I think it is probably unlikely that the Hawks would prioritize a Kong Wu over, a, over a wing that they liked quite a bit. Um, but well, it's just more practical. I, I think what my overall point was like, there's a scenario where I do have a Kongu as my top remaining player for the Hawks, but if they were to take the guy I have next or the guy I have, you know, two spots down, would I, you know, criticize him for that? No, because fit does matter a little bit. It shouldn't be your priority at, at the top of the draft. It should be best player available. I'm on record as that. And, uh, you won't hear me criticize them if they take a core, if they take a Kong with you either, because I'm an advocate of best player available. And if that's, that's almost certainly what they would be doing. If they drafted either Wiseman or a Kong they're not doing it for need. <laughs> they're drafting those guys because they, they like those guys a lot. That, that would be the only reason why they would draft either of those bigs or really even Toppin. If they drafted any of these three guys in the top eight, it's because they like them. Like that's not a fit. That's, that, that's not a fit need pick. Obviously, because they don't need those guys. So, in a weird in a weird way, they're almost betting on them more, just because you have to have a real conviction as the Hawks to draft any of the bigs in the top seven or eight. Yeah, for sure. I think Vassell or Coro make a lot more sense. I mean, well, yeah. The craziest do. the craziest thing I could see is them even going to like. Neesmith, if from some reason Vassell and Coro oh. were gone. Okay, that, okay, yeah. then I would criticize that. A fair, fair warning, uh, if I the mean, Hawks draft Aaron Neesmith in the top seven, with all respect to Aaron Neesmith, I will criticize that pick. But I understand I'm what you're just saying. saying. That's like the craziest thing to happen. I'm not saying like... I'm with you. Like and what, we're we're going to get into the wings too. I'm not trying to... I'm just... I'm more joking, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it would probably be somebody more like Halliburton. They would just default to like yeah. more of a combo guy than like reach that part on the board, but... Um, I think after Halliburton, like 
you just have to take a Kongwu almost. Like if you if you don't like Halliburton, then you can't reach down to. It has to be Vassell, Okoro, Halliburton. I think. I mean, you can't reach down for Bomaro or. It could be Anton, Denny. Or, it could be Denny too. Denny's in that same oh yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. Denny, but Denny. I, I'm I was with looking you. At the wings, but yeah. Denny. Yeah, Denny's the only one that's you know, more of a combo forward type. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, just so I make sure, because we were doing the bigs on this episode, what would your order be right now at the top? We, obviously, a Kong we, we, we've landed on being number one. Would you prefer? Uh, this is more of an, more more in a vacuum than Hawks related. Would you land on Wiseman or Toppin as your number two big in this class? Um. Tough. To me, this is really, very different. This is really, it's really close. But I, I do have uh, Wiseman. I had, I just think you know, a seven six wingspan and him being you know an eighteen nineteen years old, whatever he is right now. Um, I just that's the guy I would rather, I would rather pick up and you know move forward with. Yeah, that's uh, reasonable. I think I'm probably going to land there too, but um, I'm not. Those guys are so close and they're so different. You know those. Toppin and Wiseman are, are about as different as players can be while in the same positional podcast. <laughs> Toppin is this like yeah. extreme offensive dominant, more of a power forward, and Wiseman has to be defensive and it's clearly, it's clearly a center. So comparing them one to one is tough. But uh, I guess I, I just see Obi as like um, again like I don't. This is just what I think. It doesn't mean to be like uh an indictment of Obi or say that he won't be a good player but i kind of see him as like a jabari parker like like i said earlier like i don't really see him as like a big difference maker like he's gonna go in and score but then you know you're not gonna get stops with him out there so to me the tiebreaker is just like wiseman i think his ceiling is like actually like you were saying like good starting center and i think Toppin's ceiling is like i don't even know like his ceiling on defense is still like probably I mean, especially you, like what you prioritize, you wouldn't want to want it really out there a lot. It would so, scare me. It would scare me. I, I, Obi's Obi's ceiling is probably a little bit higher than you're saying for me, just because I think he, in the best case scenario, could just be an, an incredibly good offensive player. But yeah, like, he would give it a lot. He like, would give a lot back. So I don't know. But like to me, it's just he he doesn't have like a Tobias Harris pull up game or like I don't see how he becomes like dominant on offense you know the way like you know even some of the guys that are like top 50 are can be like Milton or you know he, he's just stiff like he has to be kind of set up it seems like yeah I'm uh I'm leaning towards you on that as well but all right we, we've done 50 no sorry 67 minutes and counting on the bigs on four guys aren't you glad listeners that we split this up into two podcasts I knew it was gonna be very long um, and these will all be probably two podcasts moving forward and all the position groups. We will do a wings episode. We will do a combo guard episode or two episodes. I mean, each, and then of course a point guard episode, um, talk about LaMelo, et cetera. So, uh, lots of content coming with Zach, who's graciously agreed to do this with me. And thank you for doing that, my friend. Um, any final thoughts? And if not, please tell people where they can find your work because you are uh, everywhere on the internet. Uh, yeah. Shout out Cam Newton. First of all. Yeah, Got Cam, uh, lo- lo- local product back in the league. Got the Patriots, uh, so now I can can watch the Patriots with a little less hate in my heart. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Peace Street Hoops. You know, 
you know where I'm at by now, probably if you're listening to this podcast. So follow Zach. Uh, read Falcons things that Zach writes and Hawks things that Zach writes and uh, follow the podcast at Locked on Hawks. Follow me if you want to at BT Roll and subscribe to the show. It would be huge if you did that for us. We really appreciate everybody that's already done it, but please tell a friend and subscribe to the podcast. Zach will be back in the near future with more draft content, and we'll see everybody next time.